Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to Dr. Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. And I finally got my ESV. So there you go. Until as promised, I will say, I said adios. And I put on my shelf my Bible of 20 some years that was falling apart. And, uh, and uh, it's like an old friend, but it's sitting in front of my desk and I get to look at it. I have a lot of notes I wrote in, in it. Incidentally, it sits right next to my new Schofield King James, which uh, my mother gave me when I was 17, and that Bible's worn out. And that sits next to a New American Standard Bible where the back actually came off, and I used that for five years, and that was worn out. And for the last 20-some years, the NIV Study Bible and that's there, and that's worn out, and now I have the English Standard. Now, if you don't have the English Standard Version, you might want to get that. Uh, I think it's the very best uh, translation today. Uh, and we do have somebody kindly uh, gave to our church uh, 50 of them, and they're underneath the chairs. They're blue, and if you want to use that, you're welcome to do that. Uh, as we endeavor with our ESV, English Standard Version, and look in our study of the text. Well, we're, we're in, Matt, in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. I've entitled the, the message today, Jesus Stopped a Funeral. Take your Bible. Look, let's look at chapter 7. We're going to read the, the small uh, couplet of verses here, verses 11 <clears throat> to 17, and get our context. Dr. Luke writes, Soon afterward, and he's referring to uh, there, the, uh, the centurion servant was healed. We saw that last week in Capernaum. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And then he came up and he touched the bier. And the bearers stood still. And he, that is Jesus, said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and he began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. What an amazing account. What a glorious account. You know, as you study the Gospels, if you're aware and you're thinking, there are only three times in all the Gospels where Jesus is found 
uh, raising the dead, resuscitating life. That was different than his resurrection. Each of these three uh, had the joy of dying again. How about that? That was so much fun. Let's do it again, right? Here's the first account. Uh, this, uh, the widow's son at Nain, and uh, this Nain reference is the only time in all the Bible this little, little town is mentioned. Then you have, we'll see sometime, the raising of Jairus' daughter. And then, of course, we're all familiar with Lazarus, where God said in the Lord Jesus there in Bethany, and I like to say in the English, Larry, come forth. That's not you, Larry, but boy, you looked right up when I said that. (laughs) (laughs) And so here's this great account, and it's interesting. Here's the physician, Dr. Luke, after doing all his research, being guided by the Spirit of God, includes this account of all the things he could have said. He writes of this grand occasion of the visit of Jesus at this little town of Nain and, uh, and all that's there. Well, what can we say by way of introduction? Is there anything as painful as the, as the death of a child or death of a son or daughter? Think about it. Some of you have may, maybe have had that experience. The burying of a son or daughter, whether they're in adulthood or whether they're very young, and we say, well, that's not natural. You know, children need to bury their parents, not the other way around. But that's not the way it always works, is it? The anguish and the pain and the agony. And uh, you can only know that anguish of soul if you have buried uh, uh, a child or maybe a grandchild. Uh, Jim and Ramona, I remember, Jim, your call from China, and you told me about your beautiful little granddaughter, one of a twin, six months old. Same age as our little Taylor. Now, I won't forget that. Cemented you guys in faith in my memory. To see her laid out in that little casket. And Michael and his wife met your mama that day. We go like, that's not natural. That's not the way it ought to be. And the tears that flow, and we cry for what we've lost. You cry for what could have been or should have been, we think. You know, you think about that, right? And the anguish of soul, I mean, it just hurts so bad. One of the strangest days as a pastor, I've had occasion to, to conduct funerals of all ages, typically older, but not always, not always. I came into the church one day, and this is my mind that went to this week when I thought of this. I went in, and the, typically the casket would be in the foyer. The foyer was large, and, and uh, the parent, family would gather there, and, there, and then we'd have a little service down in the auditorium, the worship center. And I went in, and I saw the family over to the side. It was a uh, death of a child. Uh, uh, a, a baby had been born and had severe problems and only lived for a very short time, hours, a day maybe, I don't remember. We buried her down at Dillsburg at the little cemetery. 
But I walked in and I went over to that the little, little child-sized casket. Takes your breath away even to see one of those. And I looked inside and there was no, be- no body in the casket. I'm like, what do you do then? You know, I'm like, you know, you don't want to be <laughs> too conspicuous. But I looked, where's the baby? And I looked over and it was a, such a tender thing. Her mama, the baby's mom, little girl, was holding in her burial little baby dress. The family was around, and they were holding and hugging and taking some pictures of the tears coming down. Small group, just family. Never forget it. Never forget it. I say all that because this is the setting there is the death of a son. We're going to discover it's an only son. We're going to discover it's a widow. There in the city of Nain, and we, as we read the text, and it ought to pluck every one of the strings of our heart. And as we mourn our losses, as well as the losses of our ones that we love that lose, and we mourn them, don't we? At the end of the day, we say, well, what comfort? Does God give? What hope does He provide for us at such horrible times of life, of which we endeavor to walk through those valleys of the shadow of death? What is the hope? Is there hope? What is the comfort? Is there comfort? Does God give that to us? And Dr. Luke answers this question for all of us, by telling us what Jesus did one day for this broken-hearted mother, this widow. There's so much here it overwhelms me. I can hardly scratch the surface of it and the layers here of what Dr. Luke teaches us, of God's amazing compassion for us. You know, that's truly one of the most amazing things. Some of you took and had to take in school a class on comparative religions. It's really of the pit. The whole thesis is, well, they're all the same, the same God, a lot of avenues. That, that's baloney. Jesus said to the Jews that day, you're of your father, the devil. You say, well, aren't all Jews worshiping? Hear the words of Jesus? Don't ever be confused by that. Get the mush out of your ears and eyes and head. Jesus said, I am the way. There's only one. And the world hates that, you know, in their mushy, goofy, sinful way, rebellious way of thinking. There's only one way to heaven, and that's the Lord. And when you look at, really look at Allah and Buddha and some of these nonsense, satanic worship, you'll discover that our God is wholly different, as you would expect. Not capricious, he's not vindictive, he's compassionate. It blows me away when I allow my mind to think about it. Does Jesus care? You say, does God care? And I say, look at Jesus here. This is the face of God. He stands outside Lazarus' tomb. He's weeping. In John eleven thirty five, that's the that's the compassion of God. Our God loves. Our God cares. Does Jesus care? 
when we bury and say so long for a while to our life, it is the compassion of God that heals. So be encouraged by that. We're not left to ourselves. We're not alone. And we see that in the person, the wanderer of our Lord Jesus. Wow. Well, I just want us to make three observations of Jesus' authority over death. That's what Luke wants us to see here at this point. Last time, we saw Jesus' authority over distance. You know, just say the word, Lord, and my servant will be healed. He wasn't even there. Didn't do a tap dance. You know, didn't touch, didn't lay hands on. It is as you say. Healed instantly that moment. And now Dr. Luke wants us to show us the authority of God in Jesus, this, this Emmanuel, this God-made flesh, the mystery of this person, this God-man, that he has authority over death. And it's thrilling. It ought to thrill your heart. For we are all, every one of us, are on this long parade this, toward, toward our own appointment with death. Did you know that God has it already figured out? You have an appointment with death? He does. It's, there's no expiration date on the bottom of your foot, or you'd be looking in the mirror of it. We've talked about that. But we do. And here's the victor over death, and I say there is hope. I say there is comfort for all of us. All of us. And Luke wants us to make sure we get it. Through observations, Jesus is authority over death, It provides both comfort and hope. For if Jesus had not showed up that day at that moment, this would have been just another forgotten tragedy in the pages of history. Think about it. It's repeated itself over and over and over again. But he did show up, and it changed everything. It did. You know, the pure numbers of of death today is... In the world of 6 billion people, 6 billion people, there are about 150,000 to 160,000 funerals every single day. And out of all of those, the Lord shows up at this one. And Luke wants us to know about it. So let's make the first observation. is found verse 11 and 12, the setting. Jesus arrives just in time. He notes the, 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 the timing. Soon afterward, uh, one of the old uh, the Greek manuscripts says, the next day, he, that is Jesus, went to a town called Nain. His disciples and a great crowd was following him. And as he drew near to the gate, again, time, he's growing near. Behold, a man who had died was being carried out. And so on. Look at that. Uh, Jesus arrived just in time uh, to bump into, really, that's really what it was. He bumps into a funeral procession. It ought to remind us again, over and over and over again, that God's timing is perfect. Perfect. You never have to worry about that. Sometimes we think God is late, right? He's running five minutes behind. Never behind. God made time. We mark time. But the passage of time, God's timing is perfect. And it's not a chance meeting. Say, well, I was lucky. He was lucky. No chance with God. No plan B. It's all plan A. And right at the right moment, wasn't a day early. 
hey, what's happening tomorrow? Oh, he was there and left. Wasn't an hour later, we just buried him. You notice that? Notice the time sequence. It's the backbone of good Bible study. Our God is the God of time, of your time and mine. And he shows up right at the right time. God sent forth the Son, made of the woman, in the fullness of time, Galatians 4, 4, at the nick of time, one of my revered professors used to teach us, at the right moment. And here he comes. The title of the message is what? Jesus stopped the funeral. Amazing thought. When you're going to see, you're going to see a Titanic confrontation here now. Don't read just the words here. Look at the bigger issues. We've got a confrontation going to happen here of death is going to meet life. And it will never be the same. And we ought to be thrilled. We ought to be doing tap dances as we leave here this morning. Like, woo-hoo, wow! That's what they did when they saw it. We go, we go oh, oh, I've heard that story before. What time's lunch? Right? Well, look at A. Jesus left Capernaum. He traveled about 20, 25 miles south and a little bit west of Capernaum. Walked it, didn't jump in his car and take, you know, like 81 over. Okay, walked it, sandals, dusty, takes a while. Disciples with him, huge crowd. I mean, they're like, wow, we got to follow this guy. Don't know him as, as, as the Emmanuel yet, but this guy is the real deal. He's a prophet. And we want to hear him and watch what he does. Wow. It was early in his public ministry. He approaches the city gate. Remember, there are walled cities in the city gate. Uh, and uh, he meets a funeral procession. You ever been at an intersection and the procession goes by? Be polite. Don't cut in on them. There's a rudeness in our culture anymore. They used to turn the lights on, but now I think they require all cars to have the light, headlights on. Allow them to continue to follow the hearse. This was not cars doing it. That's our culture. This is, this is how they did it in that day. They came out of the city, and they're on a, on a Soros. It's a word I always laugh because I hear George Soros. His name in Greek means the plank that they carried the dead on. Yeah, it was like uh, they carried them out, sometimes high. The family always went first. There's no one in his family but this woman, this mother. Followed by those carrying her son. He's wrapped in a shroud of some sort. He died that day. They didn't keep him three, four, ten days or keep him on ice. They didn't embalm him. They carried him out like this. The, the, they hired professional mourners. They played the flute. Some wailed. <clears throat> we go like, well, that's strange. It's a different culture. It was to pay tribute and to express their brokenheartedness. So it's not just theatrics, although I'm sure sometimes it was, you know, that kind of a thing. Think of New Orleans, okay? You've seen enough with the French Quarter and, and the band, the trumpet, the saints go marching. Not, not too far away, carrying uh, the body in and, uh, and then the great crowd, the people that attend following behind. That's what's happening here, but probably, we text it and say, but according to the, she's probably leading the procession because she's immediate family, and he was all she had. 
And now he's gone. Their hope for the future, gone. And Jesus bumps into this funeral procession at the city gate where he had died. Just, I just want to insert again a reminder to you that the wages of sin is death. It's sin that result, brings death. Don't buy that nonsense in our culture that, oh, death is just part of life. Ah, it's crazy. You're made to live forever. And Adam and Eve, you were. And in our text, just I have it down here on the screen. I'll remind you of that Romans 5.12, death entered the world uh, through one man, through Adam. Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. This man had paid for the wages of his sin and died. And the same is true for us. Death is an intrusion. It, uh, it is not normal. We are made to live, and someday we'll live forever. But this man died, didn't he? Uh, probably his mother, who was a widow, led the group on their way out. I said that. And she's grieving again. It's a heartbroken world we live in. Just have to look around and be sensitive. Allow yourself to be sensitive to those that are around you. And she's grieving again. Why? She had been down this road before, hadn't she? Exactly the same road because families buried in family plots and she had buried her husband earlier. And now she was making the trek leading the funeral procession to the cemetery to bury her son. Well, her grief must have seemed too great for her to bear. She had lost her son, her only son. And in that day, you should know, uh, the government didn't say, okay, we'll give you a check. And they didn't have things like wonderful things, tools like life insurance, things that would provide security for vulnerable widows and children that are left behind by breadwinners who die, we say, an untimely death. You, you, you know, her hope for the future, for protection and for provision was her son. You see that all the way through the scriptures in that culture in that day. And that without having a son, you were so vulnerable. My mother said that last night to me, you know. Uh, sometimes I think maybe I, I ought to sell the house. She's lived in that house. 20-some years after my father died. She's getting near 80. But she's, then she said to me, but you know, uh, your brother Eddie lives uh, half a block away, and he's always over here attending to me and taking care of my needs. And I said, you know, Mom, I wish I could live close because I'd take care of it. She was talking about this didn't work and that. And I said, I'd be there in a minute to fix it. It'd be a privilege for me to do that. She said, oh, I have Eddie, and I'm glad he's there. She, in our culture, many times removed in a whole different culture, found strength from a son right there. Her hopes were dashed. She was hanging out there, talk about being vulnerable. She was very, very vulnerable. She was alone. Even though the townspeople, in showing love, formed a procession behind her and came to support her, and don't you need that? At such times, don't you need the hugs and the embraces of people that love you? And you just need it. You can barely stand up. 
and to be embraced by those that love you and knew your family and stand with you. And we need to be that kind of church family. And no no-shows here, you know, football games. So many people didn't show up, no-show. Say, well, I, I feel uncomfortable. We'll talk about that in a moment. You show up, and they'll draw strength from you. You don't have to say anything. Probably better you don't say anything. We don't know what to say anyway. They showed up. But in the final analysis, she was really alone, wasn't she? When the day came and they all went to their homes, she was alone, in a real sense, alone in the world. Wow, going out to bury her dead. Wow. You know, in 1901, there was a man who wrote an old song, and some of you will know it. I threatened to sing it, but I won't sing it. I'll spare you. But uh, he had suffered great grief and pain and anguish. And his name is uh, Frank Graff in 1901. He wrote uh, the hymn, uh, Does Jesus Care? Asking the question, does Jesus care? Uh, He had been studying the word and his despondency and brokenness and came across 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares upon him. For he cares for you. And from that... He wrote the words, and I used to sing it uh, with our old hymns. And the lyrics are this, Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. And then his chorus, he answers it all the way through. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are wearies, weary and the nights dreary, I know that my Savior cares. Second verse, does Jesus care when my way is dark, when, with a nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into the deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. And then the last, I'll just give you the last stanza. Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my heart's, my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it aught to him? Does he see? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long nights dreary, I know that my Savior cares. Well, this dear widow was to find out firsthand in the flesh the care of the Lord Jesus. For we see a second observation, not only the setting, but now the miracle. Jesus, having compassion for her, restores her son. That's some great verse. Look at verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, isn't that great? He saw her. You know, we can see without seeing, right? He saw her. He entered into her brokenness. He saw her. There's a lot there. He had compassion on her. It's the strongest word in the Greek for an anguish in the gut. You know, when you're really deeply in grief and suffer, it hurts right in here. And the ancients wrote of that in that word. It hurts here with deep grief. 
And the Lord so entered into it that he had that same compassion, that same hurt for her and her loss and her hopelessness as he saw her lead the procession. He had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And then he came up and he touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. Let's stop there at this point. Does Jesus care if we are brokenhearted? Our amazing God, as I said earlier, has compassion for his own. A, Jesus saw this brokenhearted mother. And the first thing he does in his mercy is he approaches her. They kind of bump into each other. you got one crowd coming out. you got his, he and his disciples leading a crowd out, and he approaches her. And he speaks to her. He reaches out to her. He enters into her world and into her suffering. He speaks. First thing we notice is Jesus initiates. He initiates here. No one asked him to do anything. No one. This is different than the centurion who had asked Jesus to come. We don't know that this widow even knew of Jesus or any of them in name. Maybe they had heard of him. And it reminds us again throughout the Scripture that God is the great initiator. You, you didn't seek him. You weren't interested. You could be cared. You loved your sin. He sought you if you know him. God is the great initiator. He's the first great cause. The calling and election of God is sure. That's why men, you, you bear the role of God in your marriage and family. Real men want, real women want the men to be the leader, to initiate. No good woman wants a, to lead her man around. That's pathetic. Pathetic. Even in dating, you know. Take the initiative. Be a man. Step up. In a way, you bear that resemblance to your Father, to your Lord. Initiate. Lead the way. It means you've got to think ahead. You've got to pray ahead. You've got to be out there. Jesus initiates. You see that? We don't uh, see her say, Lord Jesus, help. He approaches her. He saw it. He went, didn't go the other way. I think he'll go to Starbucks, get a coffee, let him go by. You notice? I don't see that. He enters into it. Luke wants us to know that. Initiate. Second, he had compassion on her. His heart went out to her. He allowed his heart to be touched. Sometimes we've been hurt and we're so afraid we guard it. Oh, no one's ever going to hurt me again. We lock it up. Don't do that. You die in some ways. Be, be out there with it. Be willing to be hurt. It's the only way to live, really. I got news for you. Be disappointed. You don't think Jesus was disappointed? He was. But it's the only way to live and to be a blessing. He allowed himself to be out there. And we need to do the same thing. He had compassion. His heart groaned for her. Luke shows a number of times Jesus caring for women in need in the Scriptures. And Luke points that out. How about Mary and Martha at Bethany? The Lord approaches them, and he's weeping with them. That's a tender-hearted addition to the text. Now, how about his mother there at Calvary? 
And uh, the, it's the same word that is used in both uh, Lazarus and, and there on the cross. She used to look on Mary, and she had treasured up all those things in her heart, and now her son was dying before her face. She would have that same thing of burying her son. And the text says the Lord looked at her, and he took compassion upon her, and he said to John, your mother, Mom, that's your son. In other words, John, you take care of Mom. He had compassion on her. Luke wants us to see that as well. Well, uh, God is called the what? The protector of the widows in Psalm 68.5. I think I have it on the screen here. 68.5. If not, you can look at it later. We shall, uh, uh, it, God promises to be a father to the fatherless. Isn't that great? And a defender of the widows is God in his holy dwelling. And Jesus is going to exhibit that here. Many people avoid those who are grieving. I see that in the world. It's uncomfortable. And uh, they'll avoid. They won't show up. There'll be a no-show. But not you and not this church. Oh, how they love one another. We stand with each other. We rejoice with those who rejoice. JT had another birthday. I think that's rejoicing. And we weep with those that weep. And sometimes in the order of day, it can be back to back. It is. That's the way life is. But we've got to allow our hearts to be touched. We've got to be out there. We've got to initiate. We've got to be Christ to those that we meet. That's what Christians are, little Christ. That's what God wants for you. And we see that in the Lord Jesus here. But some people avoid it, don't you? Why, why do they avoid What are some reasons? I don't have it on a sheet. But I don't know what to say. Well, join the crowd. There aren't magic words. You know, wave the wand and, oh, feel better. Take a one at No. Sometimes we'll say, well, I'm just too busy. I'm preoccupied with my own things. Shame on us. Or sometimes uh, we're embarrassed by uncontrollable grief and weeping. And it is. It's hard to hear that. Grief and weeping and tears and, and groaning. You can almost hear the, the, the grief uh, cries of, the, of those that stand with their dead loved ones. And uh, it's very uncomfortable, isn't it? But it's part of life. And we got to step close. One of the things that my mother took great comfort, and I often think about it because uh, we were not there when my father died. We were in a snowstorm in Indiana and couldn't make even the funeral. One of the things that uh, prices we paid for serving the Lord and being in the Midwest, and we came, finally got there a day later. But my mom took great comfort, and, you know, as soon as the word went out that my father died suddenly, she said, I'll never forget looking out the window, you know, you're trying to put these things together, and there came my cousin, Brad, running up the driveway, running up the driveway, it was a long driveway, into the house to hold and to embrace and to express his love for my mother and for his nephews, my brothers and sisters. He ran up the driveway. I thought, like, wow. Do you know that man pastors today, my cousin Brad, in a growing, wonderful church there in Niagara County? A blessed, sweet work of the Lord. Someday maybe you'll meet him. He didn't avoid, did he? And Jesus didn't avoid. And nor should we. It's uncomfortable. This is uncomfortable. I'd rather watch a football game. So what? There's more wisdom in the house. Some more stand with people. Let's stand with each other. We need each other. You don't know what's coming tomorrow. 
And so we need to notice those that are suffering. Jesus did. Well, what does he say to her? This is amazing. He compassionately orders her, and it's an imperative, to stop weeping. I mean, did you notice that? He says, stop weeping. Now, for anyone else to say that, we would like, that is cold. Don't ever go into a funeral and when they're weeping, say, hey, listen, knock it off. Stop that. I mean, that is, that is uh, for everyone but Jesus. I mean, God, God made us with, with the ability to cry. Have you ever thought about that? You're more than material. We live in a goofy, rebellious world. So, well, you're just, you're just material, and when they die, they throw you in a hole, and that's it. That's not true. You're more than your body. You're not your body. You're a living soul that inhabits your body, and at death it separates. The living soul in your body, the way God made us, is that when the emotions are so broken, and sometimes they are, and the poison and heartache of our heart, it feels it's going to break into a thousand pieces. God designed tears like a safety valve to release that brokenness physically. And we weep, don't we? When my father died, I weep for 30 days. I sat in my doctoral classes in the back of the room, just tears streaming down my face while the lecture was going on. And then it wasn't so frequent, and then it wasn't so, and God gave grace. And, but think if you couldn't cry. Oh, wouldn't that be awful? I know ladies cry a lot, and men feel wrong. Why? Oh, please don't cry. You know, we get like that, don't we? Because guys don't cry like ladies, right? We cry, but not like ladies. Ladies have, I'm told, more tear ducts. And they're more emotional, and they're beautiful. That's really beautiful. Some of you guys are stone cold. And you need a woman to put you in touch with, oh, you know. you know. Faith and I look at something, and I go like, oh, that's her. And then I look at her, she's crying. I go like, oh, what's the, am I stoned, or what's the matter with me, you know? And it tunes me in a little bit, you know, instead of just thinking rationally. You don't want to think with your heart, but there is a blending there, right? And God designed it. It's a great gift. I'll tell you, if you couldn't cry, what would you do? You just jump into the casket with loved ones that die at that point. It's a release that God has given to us. So he says, stop crying, stop crying. Well, Jesus may be a, a, a dramatic confrontation with death. It was, uh, as one writes, a collision between life and death. It was an unstoppable meeting, a seemingly immovable object. Phil Riken wrote that. And when the funeral met Jesus, I love this, I picture it. When the funeral procession met Jesus, it stopped right in its tracks. I mean, it stopped. I mean, it's, can you see it? Everyone else had to follow the procession. But when Jesus showed up, and he spoke, and he did more than that, he had the authority to bring death and the procession to a screeching halt. And you see that pictured when the Lord reaches out his hand and he lays it upon the, the bier where the body is laying. And incidentally, you were never to do that because you'd be ceremonially unclean. But Jesus taught us in the scriptures, ceremony always takes second place to mercy. Always. 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 
And he reaches out and he touches the beer. They all stop. Death stops. And then with his hand out, touching it, I think you have it on your sheet. Where is it? Um, oh, there it is. When it, as if to say, with his hand, when he held it, death, you come this far, but no further. It stopped. It stopped in its tracks. And Jesus speaks to the corpse, looking at this dead boy. Don't you love the words here? Young man, I say to you, arise. Now, people say all kinds of things to their loved ones laid out in a casket today. They'll kiss them. They'll hug them. Bye-bye, Daddy. I've heard all kinds of things. Sometimes things I wish I didn't hear. Right? Never heard anyone say, Young man, I say to you, notice the resident authority there, arise. Do you see in, in that those words, the very picture of victory over death? Do you see in those very words the resurrection, your resurrection? Do you see it? Arise. I see it. It's in brilliant technicolor here. And note the ease. There were a couple prophets in the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha, that raised some from the dead. God worked through these great prophets. But there was agony. They laid on them. They prayed. They laid on three times. They all this. But to the Lord, notice the ease. He says the word. There was nothing more than that. And he instantly responded. Now, do you think it would have been a little different reaction if it was like, oh, a week later, we made a mistake, he didn't really die, but he's doing a little better? You know, you get that fear of being buried alive, right? That's a, Some of you dream about that. Some of these movies you shouldn't see and fill your mind with that junk. You're like, I think they're going to bury me alive. Stick me with a pin, when they, and if I say, ouch, then get me to the hospital, Right? Wait, and some, some dance around. They don't believe it. Oh, he wasn't really dead. Oh, oh, no. Luke knew who was dead. He was, you know. Arise. Instantly. You know what? He was feeling better than ever. Didn't have any anesthesia, hangover, headache. I had one of those. Was feeling better than ever. Started moving. I've seen dead bodies move. They'll spasm a little bit at times. You know, rigor mortis sets in and all that. Uh, but Luke wants us to know it was more than that. He actually sat up and wants us to know clearly he's alive because now he's speaking. And I know for some of you ladies say, well, for a man to speak, that's really a miracle. Because my man doesn't speak that much, but uh, he's speaking. He's alive. He's alive. It's a wonderful, wonderful, powerful thing. Immediately he sat up. Jesus summoned his soul from the realm of the dead. I remind you, it was the same word of Jesus that spoke the creation into being. Out of nothing, God made everything. God made everything, Colossians 1 says, through Jesus, for from him and through him and to him are all things to Christ be the glory. And it was that same word that spoke the creation into being. 
He, well, you think it was any harder for him to say to that boy that was actually on his predetermined schedule, it was in his day timer, be it Nain at that time, I will, and I'm going to raise that, arise, and he, there he is. His soul returned from wherever it was in the realm of the dead, rejoined that body, and he sat up and he felt better than ever. Ever ever had a good night's sleep? You're like, wow, I feel good today. If, you have, if, you've, if you've been deprived of that, you know how wonderful that is when you finally have it. Well, Jesus stopped the funeral right in its tracks with a spoken word. He did more than offer words. He did something, and he came alive. Well, this miracle points us to the fact that Jesus is the death of death in his resurrection. Listen, the gospel is more than the cross. The cross is the place where we find the payment for our sin. God wonderfully pour his wrath upon his own beloved son for your sin and mine. The wages of sin is death. So the cross is very important. But it's also the empty tomb. He was raised, and by that, it validated everything that Jesus taught and did. Declared, Romans 1 says, son of God with power. And in that, so we have forgiveness at the cross, and we have the living hope because that one day there was an empty tomb outside the city of Jerusalem, and so shall yours be, all because of Christ. Wow. Wonderful. Glory. The death of death because he rose. And so shall we. Well, he's our living hope. This is our comfort, is it not, when we stand by the gravesite in graves of our loved ones? All because of Christ. That wonderful 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the resurrection chapter, right? Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know your work in the Lord is not in vain. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus. Jerry mentioned earlier, you know, some of the greatest words ever mentioned, right? Why do you seek the dead among the living there in the garden on that Sunday morning? He is not here. He's risen, just as he said. And Luke wants us to know this, the living hope and comfort that is ours because of Christ. Well, Jesus gave him back to the arms of his mother. Can you see it? I've done a lot of funerals, but I've never saw that. Can you imagine the love and the comfort and the joy of her arms receiving her son back when he interrupted the funeral? And in that is a picture of the great reunion, the great family reunion that's coming. Is it not? It is. He re reunited them, mother and son. And, and, and you know what? There's going to be an incredible family reunion of the saints of God. The dead in Christ will rise, and those that are living when Christ comes, and we will meet the Lord in the air, and, and so shall we be with them and the Lord forever and ever. I'm telling you, we've had some great family reunions. Faith, these families have been Philly, and we had one two years ago with my my brother, and what a wonderful time. We just wanted the clock to stop and share the memories and be together. And then the day the time came, we all scattered again. There's going to come a time when, when we will be gathered together. And I ask you, who is it that you're looking forward to seeing? 
a dear mom or a dad, a child, a brother. It's going to happen. The saints of God will be gathered together. And we see, you see the picture there? He gives the dead son back to his mother. A reunion. And in that, see the bigger thing that Jesus is teaching. It's, it's marvelous it is to me. It's glorious. Wow. Whom are you waiting to meet? Well, the last, because we're out of town, third observation. Look at the reaction of those present. Can you imagine what they were thinking? I imagine the whalers stopped, don't you think? They stopped. The band stopped playing. Hey, stop, stop. <laughs> Wait a minute. Come back another day, you know. And they probably went and had a party, right? I think. The Lord loved that. He loves, you know, when times are good, rejoice. You think they didn't have a party? I bet they did. Now, how about the crowd around that saw it all? The mourners, like, whoa, whoa, what's happening here? Some people never quite get it. You're kind of going back into the crowd. What's, what's going on? What? What? He's, I see it right. Wow. Who did this? He did that? What? Look at verse 16. Fear seized them all. I bet it did. They're like, wow. Fear in a sense of awe. I never saw that before. Never heard of it. Never been told it before. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and the whole surrounding country. Notice the reaction of those present. They praised God for his visit. God showed up, and he did something that they had never seen. Their unrehearsed response is what ours should be, too, as we, too, experience the work of Jesus in our lives. And in a word, they did two things. What? Verse 16, they worship God. And that's what we ought to do when God saves us and, and works in our lives and gives us grace. and this Our lives ought to be worship seven days a week. And then as we gather as a church, gather, you know, we ought to lift the roof off this place, singing. Filled with praise to God. Let me tell you what God did in my life this week. Is he doing something in your life? Every single day. They, pray, they worshiped. Wow, they, they saw God and they hadn't seen him. And they're like awestruck. And so should we. The second B is they witnessed, didn't they? Everywhere they went. You know, they could talk about what a great game the Steelers played last week. And that was a pretty good game. Right? But all of a sudden, the sports didn't seem that important to them. All of a sudden, mercantile and business and academics didn't seem that important to them. They said, hey, yeah, hey, I appreciate it. Let me tell you what I saw. And everywhere they went, they bore witness and testified, you have seen nothing. I saw it. I saw him. Let me tell you what he did. Everything else seemed trite compared to what Jesus had done. And you know, that's what it ought to be in our life. We ought to be thinking and praying and anxious to tell others what Jesus has done for us and is doing. And people won't understand always, but God will use us to bear witness for Christ throughout the whole countryside of what Christ has done. And that's what he wants to use us for. Isn't that great? And may God give us boldness and compassion and love for those that do not know him and to share with others the glory of our Savior. 
Well, what can we say? What can we say? Lessons for our life quickly and will be done. Number one, our Lord always meets us in our many burdens and cares to carry us through. He always meets us. I'll never leave you nor forsake us, but in a special way lends grace to us and care and comfort, casting all our cares upon him, for he cares for us. Be encouraged by that. Know that, that that's true. No matter what comes before you in life this week or the next or where you are now. He cares. Yes, I know he cares. Number two, be encouraged. This same Jesus reaches out to us when we are helpless. It's not just the Jesus of Luke's gospel way back when. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he reaches out to us in our helplessness. And we are often helpless, aren't we? Number three, God comforts you when you're brokenhearted. He does. He gives grace. He doesn't usually give it ahead of time in this idea of comfort, 2 Corinthians 1.4. But in the midst of suffering and sorrow and when we need comfort, God gives us comfort and grace. And then Paul tells us why. So that after that experience, when God heals our soul and brings us through, that we would be comforters of God for others. And that's what God is doing it. And that's why he wants to use you in the lives of people around you. God comforts us. Number four, rejoice. I say to you, rejoice and look forward to the great family reunion, greater greater than anything you've ever seen. You want to be a part of that. Don't miss that one. You notice Uncle, Uncle uh, uh, Ernie and some of these miss the reunion. Don't miss this one. It's going to be grand. And we'll never have to say adios forever. And we won't have sin natures and we won't bug each other. He bugs me. You know, it'll be rooted out of you and rooted out of me. You're going to be better than ever, and you won't recognize me. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? And finally, number five and last, and we'll be done. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ today. Oh, I urge you, trust Christ and be saved. Oh, my. He bore the burden of sin. It can be yours. If not, there's only a heaven, there's only a hell. You'll pay with what you can forever and ever if you do not receive Christ in the horrible place of the lake of fire and hell. Oh, receive him today. If I can help you in any way, I want to do that. To God be the glory. What a day, right? Life confronts death. And a funeral stops. Now, don't do that when you see a procession going down Market Street and they're leaving a Meyer Funeral Home. Stop! Stop. No, don't do that. But Jesus could do that, couldn't he? And it made all the difference. He showed up right on time, compassionate, with authority. Wow. Arise. Someday, if the Lord tarries, those will be the word, your body's going to rise from the dead. Be joined with your soul. That would already be with Jesus. Wow. The day Jesus stopped the funeral.
While let's stand and be dismissed with a word of prayer.